All right, good to see everyone. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Glad you're here. If you need a Bible, we have plenty of Bibles in the back. Also, if you need any sermon transcripts, if English is not your first language, we have those in the back. Hopefully, they're a help to you. So if you need one of those, please grab that. But here at Refuge, we go through God's Word verse by verse. And it's been a little different in this past year as we've been going through the Gospels in chronological order. And you know what? It's been amazing. It's been amazing to study the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus chronologically. So last week we were in Matthew chapter 14. And I don't know if you remember, but we looked at two stories. The first story was John the Baptist. And he ended up being killed for his witness. He was put to death. And we asked a question last week. What are we willing to pay to serve Jesus? Are we willing to pay the cost that is associated with taking a stand for the Word of God and for sharing the truth of Scripture. The second story we looked at was Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we were encouraged that Jesus is able to take and use whatever we may have to offer, and He can use it for His kingdom and His glory. And that's what He did. He performed an amazing miracle. And it was evening time when Jesus performed this miracle. Remember, He's in a deserted place. Jesus left Capernaum, and He left Capernaum because He was troubled upon hearing of the death of John the Baptist. So he went to this desolate place, and the thousands of people, they followed Jesus, and Jesus, he fed them there. So this is where we're going to pick it up today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start today in verse 22. Before we get into these scriptures, let's just go ahead again and pray. Let's surrender this time to the Lord and just ask for God's wisdom. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. Um, so much for this opportunity that you've given us to study your word together. Lord, we just want to bring you glory. God, we just want to honor your name. We want to worship you, Lord. And we just want to hear from you today. So, Father, we just ask that you would just speak to us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you would speak through your word. And help us to not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 14. Let's start with verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So the disciples, they distributed all the food to the 5,000 men. It could have been around 20,000 if you counted women and children. And after they distributed the food, Jesus said, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now Jesus, he was dismissing the multitudes, maybe exhorting them and sending them away. And I find this verse very interesting. And I find it interesting because it was on the Sea of Galilee that the disciples recently encountered a great storm. If you remembered, when they were on the Sea of Galilee, a great storm hit, and they were fearful that they were going to lose their lives. As a matter of fact, they went to Jesus and they said, Don't you even care about us, Jesus? Don't you see that we are going to die? And Jesus, he got up, he calmed the storm, he rebuked the disciples, and he asked them why they were so fearful. And now on the Sea of Galilee, they're going back at it. So I find it interesting. But this time it's a little different. This time Jesus is not in the boat with them. He's sending them by themselves. And I had to ask myself whenever I read this, why is Jesus sending the disciples back to a place where they were just recently drowning in fear? Why would he send them back to this place again? After what just happened to them, why is he sending them back? And I believe Jesus is doing this for multiple reasons, but I believe he's trying to mature them in their faith, trying to grow them in their trust and their faith in him, trying to refine them. 
And maybe that's similar for your situation today. Maybe you're walking through a trial again. And you wonder, God, why have you allowed this to happen to me again? Why am I walking through this again? And Jesus, he wants to increase your trust in him. He wants to increase your faith and your trust in him. And we got this question a lot in Myanmar. They would say, why is this happening to us again? And we live in a fallen world, but God uses all things. And he wants to grow us and he wants to mature us. And so maybe God has placed you in a season or a time when you're walking through difficulties or trials. God wants to mature us in our faith and grow us in our trust for him. And Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. He said, not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And this is what Jesus wants for each one of us. So the disciples do as Jesus instructed them. They go. Let's see what Jesus does next in verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So Jesus, he sent the people away. It's possibly exhorted them, gave them a final word. He sent them off. But before joining the disciples, Jesus went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now understand, this was Jesus' original intention as he went to this deserted place. He originally went here to be alone so that he could have time with the Father. Now, when I read this, I have to ask the question, are we doing the same thing that Jesus did here? Are we taking time to be alone to spend with the Father? How does your devotional time look? Are you spending time with Jesus each day? It's truly remarkable how many people come and serve on the mission field who don't spend any time in prayer, who don't spend any time in the Word of God. It's dangerous. But Jesus, he made it a priority to pray and nourish himself spiritually. And Jesus is our model. He's our model for ministry. He's our example for how to live. And if we're to bear fruit in ministry, and if we're to be the men and women God called us to be, we need to be spending time with him. You can't give something that you don't have. How can you point someone to Jesus when you are not at the feet of Jesus yourself. So Jesus, he modeled how to live. He modeled how to minister. And he also modeled how to be fruitful in ministry. He prayed. And as we go out into this world and we call ourselves Christians, we would do well to remember that we are going out to bear the name of Christ. And that comes with a big responsibility. So as we go out and call ourselves Christ-like people, we ought to act like Christ. So Jesus, he needed to have this time alone with the Father. He needed to rest. And once again, we must be having this alone time with the Lord. So many times we get caught up in ministry that we end up not ministering anymore. We get burnt out. We become apathetic. Our hearts grow cold towards the people God called us to minister to. Suddenly we're no longer loving the people God has placed in front of us. Why? A good indicator could be we're not praying. Somehow prayer has been put on the back burner for many Christians' lives. I know for myself personally, I struggle with this. It's easy for me to find time to read the Bible. It's easy to fellowship. It's hard to find time to pray. Because Satan doesn't want us communicating with God. He doesn't want us to ask for the wisdom that comes from God. He doesn't want us to intercede for one another. Do you know why we, we take this time before to pray for each other? Because we need to. We need to intercede for each other. We're a family, and guess what? It's a battle out there. And Satan is seeking to destroy each and every one of us and seeking to destroy the ministry that God has called us to. And that's why we need to be praying for each other. When we go out Wednesday night, even if you don't come and join, pray. 
Pray against the spiritual attacks. Pray against Satan's attacks against the church. And pray that hearts would be open to receive Jesus. Prayer is so vital for ministry and we're not doing enough of it. We're not doing enough of it. The best way to fight this battle we're in spiritually is to pray. The greatest thing we can do for a person is pray for them. But somehow we get so caught up in humanitarian things and humanitarian aid is great. Praise the Lord for it. But Jesus must be the priority. Prayer must be the priority first and foremost above all things. So what are you known for as a Christian? What are we known for as a church? We shouldn't want to be known as the fun church or the big church or the successful church. We should be known as a church that prays. And Jesus, he said this in Mark chapter 11, verse 17. He said, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Are we praying? Anxiety, doubt, fear, these are weapons Satan uses to hurt us in our faith. And a remedy to this is prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7 says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And watch this, verse 7, In the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Him. We need to be a church that prays. Let's look at verses 24 through 25. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So we're told in verse 24, Matthew tells us the boat's being thrown around once again. Here the disciples are in the middle of a storm. And maybe that's you today. Again, once again you're in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a hardship in your life, going through a trial once again. And I wondered as I read this, if Jesus knew they'd be caught in a storm again, why did he send them? Or at least, why didn't he warn them? Why didn't he say, hey, listen, you're going to encounter another storm? Why wouldn't he say this? Because that wouldn't be faith for the disciples, would it? The disciples, they had a learning experience last time they were in this situation. Jesus said, don't fear, trust me, don't you believe who I am? And the disciples They had an opportunity to learn, and here they are again in the same situation. Once again, Jesus wants to grow them in their faith. Now, verse 25 tells us that this was the fourth watch of the night. This would have been around 3 or 4 in the morning. So I'm sure the disciples at this point were exhausted, worn out, tired. They probably thought they were hallucinating. And in the middle of this storm, Jesus is walking to them on the water. This would be quite a sight to see. And we might read this in amazement today, but I want you to put yourself in the story. If you were the disciples, I'm sure you'd be very frightened. I know I would be. There's a heavy storm, it's dark, it's late, you're tired, and then you just see someone walking on the water. This would be very strange, very scary, I'm sure. Maybe you would think you were hallucinating. But as we read this today, we get an amazing picture here. The disciples were in the middle of a storm, and here Jesus was, unfazed by it, unhurt by it, walking in the midst of it, in complete and total control. And I believe someone in here needs to hear that today. You might be in a trial or a storm right now in your life, but Jesus is in complete control. He's unfazed by it. He's not hurt by it. He's not affected by it. Jesus is in control over it. He's sovereign. And somehow we forget this so easy. We forget that Jesus is seated upon his throne. He knows all things and he's Lord over all things. 
And by Jesus walking on the water, he showed that he alone has power and authority over all things, even the storm. And once again, I believe someone needs to hear this because maybe you're dealing with sin today. Maybe you've come in here with an addiction or a sin that you're walking through and you wonder, how am I ever going to get free of this? Jesus is Lord over those things. He already conquered it. And as we share in communion later today, I encourage you, get your hearts ready before Jesus. Evaluate your heart. If you have sin, if you have anything in your heart that's not of Jesus, lay it down and understand that He is Lord over it. And in Him is victory. Just as Jesus was Lord over this storm. So let's see how the disciples respond in verse 26. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. So obviously the disciples did not recognize Jesus. And once again, I can't really blame them. Right? If it was three or four in the morning in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a sea, and I saw someone walking on water, I probably would think the same thing. But again, we can see a great picture here. Jesus was with the disciples in the middle of this storm, yet they could not recognize him in it. Is that you today? Walking through a hardship and you've lost sight of Jesus? Going through a hardship... And you wonder, Jesus, are you even here with me? Do you even love me? Where are you, Jesus? Are you really working in this? And Jesus was right here in the midst of this storm, but the disciples didn't recognize him. And maybe you're not recognizing Jesus either because you've lost sight of him. And because you're so focused on the trials you're going through, the hardships you're walking through, you've stopped reading your Bible, you've stopped praying, you've ceased from fellowshipping, And all of this is the recipe for disaster in our faith. And then on top of this, we try to go out in our own strength to reach a fallen world for God's kingdom. And maybe that's you. You've been going out to minister without taking care of yourself spiritually, and you're getting pummeled out there. If we're to be effective and fruitful in ministry, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to recognize Jesus working even through the hardships of our lives. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purposes. Many people quote this verse. You see it on coffee mugs and shirts and bumper stickers and on refrigerators. And people love to quote this verse, but they don't like to understand the true meaning of it. God didn't just say He uses the good things. He said all things. The good things, the bad things, the ugly things. He uses all of it for our good and for His glory. So if you're going through a hardship and you're like, Jesus, are you here with me? Yes, He is. And He wants to use this hardship in your life to draw you closer to Him. Let's look at verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. What a beautiful statement by Jesus. He assures the disciples that it was Him. And I find this verse amazing because the disciples probably thought once again they were going to lose their life. They're in the middle of a storm. They see someone coming. They think it's a ghost. They're probably like, it's over. There's no, we're not, there's no way we're going to survive this one. But Jesus, He comes along. He comforts them and reassures them that the situation they're in is not as bad as they think it is. He comforts them. But the disciples didn't seem comforted. Why? Because they were fearful. And we talked about fear a few weeks ago when we studied the other storm that the disciples were in on the Sea of Galilee. And remember, fear is a powerful tool Satan uses 
because it takes our eyes off of Jesus and it sets our eyes onto our problems and our worries. We're no longer trusting in who God is when we fear. And this is why the Bible states nearly 365 times, which is amazing, so there's 365 days in the year, God's Word says 365 times, do not be afraid. And the reason the Bible states this is because Jesus wants us to keep our eyes on Him, trusting Him. So what is it that you're fearful of today? Are you fearful of rejection? You know, a lot of people say, I don't want to go out and evangelize because I don't want to get rejected. Are you fearful of rejection? You don't need to be afraid to be rejected. Are you afraid of sickness? You don't need to be afraid of sickness. Are you afraid of death? You don't need to be afraid of death because our God conquered death. Jesus died and rose again, so we don't have to be afraid. So what are you fearful of today? Has God commanded you to do something? Do it without fear. Has he promised you something? Trust and believe him and take him at his word. But I want you to notice something else. Jesus doesn't just say, don't be afraid. He says, be of good cheer. And my translation's a little different, but in the Greek language, this actually interprets to mean, have courage. Be courageous. Be bold. Be courageous. Oh, I believe every Christian needs to hear that today. Be courageous. Because a lot of Christians make a lot of excuses not to do God's work because of a whole list of reasons why it could go wrong. And God's word says, be courageous. Jesus said, be of good cheer. Have courage. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what I'm able to do? Have you lost sight of this? Where are the courageous Christians today? The Christians who go out and do the work of Jesus no matter what the cost is, no matter what people think, no matter what people say, no matter what it costs. If you go out and you give your life to share Jesus with one person, it's worth it. Where are the courageous Christians at? And once again, I get so convicted as I read of the early church. If you if you'd go back to the early church and you'd be like, hey, have you ever been to unreached places? They'd be like, unreached? What's that? Okay, we're going. Oh, but they might kill you. So what? We're going. They weren't afraid. They would do whatever God called them to do. How have we lost this courage? How have we lost this boldness? We need to be courageous. We need to trust Jesus for who he is. Let's look at verses 28 through 29. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I laugh every time I read verse 28, because good old Peter, right? you got to love Peter. Peter thinks Jesus is a ghost, and he says, hey, if it is you, call me out onto the water. It doesn't seem like the most intelligent thing to do. Well, if it was a ghost, why is Peter asking this ghost to call him out onto the water? Regardless, you've got to appreciate and admire the faith of Peter here. You've got to admire it. Peter said, Jesus, if that really is you, I want to come to where you're at. Jesus, if you are there, I want to be there. Is that your heart today? Is that your heart today in the work of God? If Jesus is present, we want to be there. If Jesus is working, we want to be in the midst of that work. If Jesus is reaching people, we want to go there. If people need Jesus, we want to bring Jesus to them. Peter, he said, I want to go 
where you're at, Jesus, so please call me. And, and Jesus, he said, come. So Peter, he gets out, he jumps out of a boat on the crashing waves in the middle of a storm. It's amazing. Are you willing to do the same for Jesus? Are you willing to jump out of a boat figuratively onto a crashing wave to go to Jesus? And you might be like, yes! But you won't even get up in the morning to spend time with Him in the Word. And I'm not saying that out of judgment. It happens to me as well. Right? But many times we, we, we have this heart to say, yes, Jesus, I'll do whatever you want. And then when Jesus says, come, we freeze. We're like, well, Jesus, I know I said I would do anything except that. Jesus, I know I said I would minister to anyone, but not them. Jesus, I know I said I would love and forgive everyone, but I just can't love them. What kind of excuses are we making? If Jesus says, come, are we going to come? Are we going to respond to that invitation that Jesus is offering us? And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian, and Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying, come. He has an invitation for you. He wants you to make Him the Lord of your life, and He wants to bring you what you've always longed for, peace with God. The emptiness in your heart to be filled. Jesus is saying the same thing to you. Come. And for each one of us in here, God has something for us. He has a work that He's calling us to, and He's offering us into the work. He's saying, come. And I don't know if you need to be reminded of this, but I know I do. God doesn't need us for this work. He doesn't need to use anyone in these chairs or in this room to further His kingdom. He can use anything or anyone. But He's giving us an invitation. Come, be a part of the work. Come, step out in faith. And that's what Peter did. He stepped out in faith. And I think it's amazing. You've got to admire the faith of Peter here. Last thing and then we'll move on. Peter, he walked on the water. Right? He didn't just jump out of the boat and sink immediately. He jumped out and he was actually walking on the water. How is this possible? His faith. His faith. If we have faith, we can do anything. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, He said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. That's an amazing verse. Somehow, though, as the time went on, we've, we've come to underappreciate this verse and we've come to downplay faith, haven't we? And we try to put God in our box and we try to say, well, Jesus was quite clearly, figuratively speaking there. He didn't mean you could physically go up to a mountain and say, move from here to there and it would be done. And my question is, wasn't he? Wasn't he saying that? Right? And Jesus wasn't talking about the, the quantity of your faith. He was talking about the quality of it. Genuine faith. Truly believing who Jesus is. Do you know why the church grew? Because of the faith of the disciples to go out and share the good news of Jesus. Peter was doing something that was impossible for man to do. He was walking on water. Why? Because his faith. Yet somehow today we're like, oh, well, Jesus, he, he did this in the Bible, but he doesn't do these things today. Sure he does. Sure he does. But somehow we just stop believing that he can. What's happened to our faith? Our faith has somehow become calloused. We shouldn't downplay faith because Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's impossible to please God without faith. It's just something to think about. I'm challenged by this. Let's look at verses 30 through 31. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Peter, he he does this quite a bit in the Gospels. Peter has a good moment, followed immediately by a bad moment. If you remember, Jesus said, "Who, Who do people say that I am? Peter said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Yes, that's right. And then right after that, Peter said, Jesus, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus, he said, Get behind me, Satan. Whew. Right? Peter, he kind of goes from zero to 60, right? He gets out of the boat, starts walking on the water, and then he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. But I don't think we can give Peter too much trouble because how many of us would actually have gotten off the boat? Something to think about. But Peter, he took his eyes off Jesus, and as soon as he did this, doubt came and infiltrated his heart. To doubt, it means that you are unsure of something, you're uncertain, you're confused, and you're hesitant. And like fear, doubt's a powerful tool of the enemy. And, and fear and doubt, they go hand in hand. They're not the same thing. But I would argue that fear leads to doubt. See, fear takes our eyes off Christ and it sets our eyes upon our worries and our concerns. But doubt, doubt is to disbelieve God. Doubt is to question Christ. So they're they're quite different. And Peter, he didn't believe anymore. He didn't believe that Jesus was able to keep him on the waves. And he didn't believe this because he was too fearful of the storm that was going on around him and he began to sink. As I said earlier, doubt's a powerful weapon of Satan. Are you doubting today? And somehow in the, in the church today, doubt's becoming accepted in the church. And I don't quite understand that. A lot of people say it's okay to come and doubt. Bring your doubts. To doubt is to disbelieve God. Where are we scripturally called to disbelieve God? Come with your questions. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. There's a difference. And maybe you're in a state of disbelief tonight. Maybe God has promised you something and you disbelieve He will perform His promise. Maybe He gave you a word and you disbelieve the authenticity of it. Maybe He's given you a command, but you disbelieve that you can do it. Whatever it may be, I encourage you, get your eyes back on Jesus. Because if you let doubt sit, it's going to take deep root and it's going to turn into something even uglier. Right? Doubt leads to apathy. Apathy leads to isolation. You're no longer in fellowship. You're no longer reading scripture. You're no longer praying. You start to think that my ways are perfect and I don't need anyone else. And eventually your heart has become hardened and callous toward the people God placed in front of you and eventually toward God. Doubt needs to be dealt with. But I have great news. Doubt can be dealt with right now. And even though Peter doubted, he also exemplified what we should do when we doubt. He cried out to Jesus. He said, Jesus, save me. And if you're in doubt today, I encourage you, do what Peter did. Cry out to Jesus. He's able to take that doubt. As we're going to share in communion, ask Jesus to remove that doubt before we partake in this. But I want you to notice just once again the beautiful heart of Jesus in verse 31. As Peter was sinking, it says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Jesus didn't say, oh, you should have trusted me. Bye. He didn't do that. 
he immediately stretched out his hand and helped Peter. And it once again shows us that God's faithfulness, it's not dependent on ours. God remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. What a beautiful heart of Jesus. We serve a God who's still near to us, even when we doubt Him, even when we disbelieve Him. He's still near to us. He still loves us. We serve a God of second chances, and I know for all of us in here, more than second chances. I know God has given me a more chances than I can ever even count. But we serve a God of grace. So if you're in doubt today, be encouraged, but you must admit that you need restoration before you can be restored. You need to admit that there's doubt in your heart. You need to take this to Jesus. And Jesus, after He pulls Peter up, He says, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. And and virtually Jesus is saying, don't you remember what I've done, Peter? You just watched me feed nearly 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. You saw me calm a storm and rebuke the waves earlier. Don't you know who I am? You just got out of the boat and we're walking on the water. Peter, where's your faith? Why did you doubt? Look what I've done already. And I know Jesus, he does this to me. He says the same thing to me. Look what I've done for you. Look how I've provided for you. Why are you worried about where your provision's going to come from next month? Why are you worried what people think or say? Look what I've done for you. Why do you worry about your life? Look what I've done for you. And for all of us, we need to set our eyes back upon who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Doubt will keep you from experiencing the amazing things Jesus is doing. For Peter, he could have kept walking on the water. That's a pretty amazing thing. But he lost that opportunity because doubt came in. Doubt will keep you from experiencing the good things that God is doing. So what are you missing out on today because of doubt? Let's look at verses 32 through 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Jesus, he calms the storm again. This is the second time Jesus did this. Mark chapter 4 is when we first saw this happen. And once again, Jesus shows that he has complete power and providential authority over all of creation. And creation has no choice but to submit to him. But I want you to notice the disciples' reaction. It says in verse 33 that they they came, they worshipped Him. They were amazed. And they said, truly you are the Son of God. The disciples were first amazed at Jesus. Then they worshipped Jesus. And then they acknowledged who Jesus is. Are you doing the same thing? Are you amazed at who Jesus is? Are you in a state of worship for who Jesus is? Do you worship Him for all the things that He has done? And are you acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all. And nothing that we face is too difficult for Him. He's Lord. No sin has dominion over our lives. Why? Because He's Lord. Are you acknowledging this? Are your eyes focused on the great power of Jesus? Do you know that God can do anything? And this is why Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to have faith like a child. Right? Because a child can believe and they're just so amazed at the wonders of God. I love, I love teaching in, in children's church because you just see the kids. They're so amazed by it. They're so amazed by, by God delivering Noah and his family in the ark. They're so amazed with the story of David and Goliath. They're so amazed with the miracles of Jesus. And then we get older and we just kind of come callous to it. We're so used to it. No longer amazes us anymore. We try to have explanations for things. We try to put God in a box and we try to answer all the questions that we'll never have answers to. 
Are you amazed at who Jesus is? Are your eyes focused on the great power of Jesus? And do you know that your God can do anything? And if you say, yes, I do believe my God can do anything, then go out and live it. Go out and live it. Because our life will speak louder than our words. And if we truly believe that Jesus is Lord, then we're going to want to go out and tell everyone we know about him and about the salvation that's in his name. We're going to look at our last three verses today, 34 through 36. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly well. So they get across the Sea of Galilee, and they arrive in an area called Gennesaret. Now, a lot of people believe that this area, Gennesaret, is the same area called the Gadarenes, where Jesus casted out a legion of demons from that, from that man, if you remember. However, I, I disagree with this. I don't believe this was the same location. If you look at Gennesaret, it's right under the, it's maybe three, three miles west of Capernaum, whereas the Gadarenes are on the complete opposite end of the Sea of Galilee. So I believe this was a different place. But regardless, this is where Jesus and his disciples arrived. And as soon as Jesus got out, the people recognized him here. And I want you to notice what the people do when they recognize Jesus. Take a look at these verses again in verse 35. When the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick. What a great picture for us. Jesus is here. Okay, wait, I'm going to tell everyone in the surrounding regions that Jesus is here. Church, Jesus is here in Chiang Mai. Are we going out into the surrounding regions and telling people that Jesus is here? That Jesus has life and forgiveness and there's hope in his name? Are we telling people that the King of Kings is here, that the Lord of Lords is here, the one who has the power to save is here? He's here and he's saving lives. Are we bringing people to Jesus? I get challenged by this as I read this. Are we leading people to him? Notice also, everyone who touched Jesus... They were made perfectly well. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Again, you're here and you're not a Christian. And and just as these people came to Jesus and were made well, so your sin problem of your heart will be made well if you come to Jesus. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that your life will be perfect when you become a Christian. No, we go through hardships. I'm not saying you'll instantly be healed if you accept Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't happen. But Jesus can do what nothing else can do. He can make well the sin problem of your heart, the emptiness in your heart, and bring peace to your heart. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is Jesus' invitation to you today. If you don't know Jesus, this is his offer for you. He's knocking on your heart and he wants you to accept him. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you hope. But you need to let him in. And maybe you're here today and you are a Christian, but you have doubt and fear in your heart. Bring these to Jesus. And as these people came to Jesus and were made well, so you can be made well of the doubt in your heart by coming to Jesus. And the fear in your heart. Surrender them to Jesus. So I'll conclude with this. We studied through Matthew and we finished up chapter 14 and we looked at the story of Jesus. He sent the disciples away into the Sea of Galilee, but before Jesus joined them, Jesus, he took time to pray, and he modeled for us how we are to be fruitful in ministry. Take time to pray. Spend time alone with the Father. 
we want to be effective, we need to be at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, he then walked on the water. And the disciples were afraid, but Peter, he jumped out of the boat and he came to Jesus. And the invitation was thrown out there for all of us. Are you responding to the invitation of Jesus when he says to you, come, be a part of the work that I have for you? But when Peter got out, he he looked at the waves and he started to doubt and he started to sink. Because doubt will always drown you in your faith, as it was Peter. But Jesus reached out and he helped him. And he asked Peter, why did you doubt? Where's your faith? And maybe like Peter, you're drowning in doubt today. But Jesus is gracious and he's compassionate. And he wants to restore us to himself. And finally, all who came to Jesus were made well. And Jesus, he wants to heal our hearts. If there's anything in our hearts that's not of him, he wants to heal our hearts. He wants to restore us. So maybe that's you today. And I encourage you, surrender these things to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, so much for your love and your mercy. We thank you for your grace and your compassion. We just thank you, Lord, uh, that you love us. We thank you that you are Lord over all things, all creation. Lord, we just want to respond to the invitation that you've given us to serve you. We want to be the, the church that you've called us to be, a church that prays, Lord. So increase our faith, Father. Lord, as we are about to take communion, I pray even now you just prepare our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you just continue to be here with us, Lord, as we just celebrate you and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.